as we continue through our Epiphany series, taken from the Psalms, the lectionary Psalms for the season of Epiphany. This series we're calling Because Church Ought to Be Big Enough for the Devoted and the Doubters. Let me repeat a few of my introductory remarks from last week. Where did religion begin? I mean, was it a religious thing? Like, did God just appear one day? Did the Ten Commandments kind of fall out of the sky? A heavenly being named God and an earthly being named Moses met? Was it just supernatural like that? Or is our Bible trying to tell us something even more interesting? Super, but natural. What if our faith narrative is the result of a revelation that dawned slowly over eons? Revelation, yes, but dawning over eons. What if that revelation occurred as part of the evolution of human beings from our primate origins to the homo sapien, the thinking being we are today? Maybe religion did not just fall out of the sky a supernatural gift of a supernatural giver, maybe God is even bigger than that. Even more grand than some supernatural being, a cosmic judge, a divine sheriff in the sky, maybe God really is, as Jesus said, spirit. Not a spirit, just spirit bigger than a being of divine proportion. And maybe we need to learn to read our scriptures bigger, just like that. Maybe in every scripture there is a hint about what religion is all about, why it came to be in the first place, which is to say there is a human predicament. We find ourselves in this world as thinking beings, conscious, able to see ourselves in this maybe infinite universe, to think about ourselves thinking in this maybe infinite cosmos, and able to perceive an otherness. Houston Smith says all religion begins in awe, some sense of grand mystery, something beyond us. You can get that standing at the Grand Canyon. You can get that in this room. Anne Lamott calls it wow, one of the three essential prayers. And what if that's where it all began? And what if that's still what it means? Wow, who am I? And maybe if we could be more real and maybe less, you know, religious, maybe if it seemed more natural and less supernatural, maybe if it seemed to speak of the inescapable universal human experience, maybe even an ancient text, the stories and poems written by people who lived long before the scientific revolution, people who had no idea what a galaxy was or a virus. Maybe even an ancient text could still speak to us right here. Tiny little specks on one little tiny planet in the backwater of one of a zillion galaxies. 
Maybe that's really what it's all about, just trying to help us figure out who we are in this wide world. So welcome today, all of you who come. The scripture and this church are big enough to meet you wherever you find yourself along the journey. The devoted and the doubter alike, welcome. In an article entitled, Grasping the Depth of Time as a First Step in Understanding Evolution, Verlin Klingenborg writes, a team of paleologists recently announced that it had found several fossilized dinosaur embryos that were, not, that were 190 million years old, some 90 million years older than any dinosaur embryos that had been found so far. Now, those kinds of numbers are always a little daunting. Ever since I was a boy, he says, I've been learning to face the eons and eons that are embedded in the universe around us. Dinosaurs. 190 million years ago. Makes you feel kind of small, doesn't it? And the universe is perhaps 14 billion years old. Earth, some four and a half billion years old. The oldest fossils of our pre-human ancestors are between six and seven million years old. Our oldest distinctly human, uh, modern human fossils are around 160,000 years old. Klinkenborg says, the truth of these numbers has the same effect on me as watching the night sky in the high desert. It fills me with a sense of nonspecific immensity. Now, I don't have any idea what nonspecific immensity is, but I think I might have experienced it one night as our family lay in the road on our backs looking up in the pitch black night of, a, of, of the sky in Zion National Park in Utah, the stars, millions and millions of stars, oh my, I have never seen anything like it, truly unbelievable. According to the website for the European Space Agency, there are about a thousand, a hundred thousand million stars. 100,000 million stars in the Milky Way galaxy alone. Not a million stars, not a hundred million stars, a hundred thousand million stars in our galaxy, and there are perhaps a hundred thousand million galaxies. Non-specific immensity. That must be something like what Friedrich Schleiermacher called reverence before the all. Even atheists, scientific materialists, doubters and cynics and skeptics of all kind can feel that kind of reverence in the face of this world's immense beauty. In an issue exploring evolution and design in nature, then editor of the Christian Century magazine, John Buchanan, said, it's difficult to speak of nature at all without some attention to words with theological freight like design, beauty, order, 
Scientists often praise theories for their elegance. Such theories explain phenomena not only truly, but beautifully. And clearly, reverence before the all is often evoked in observations of the cosmos or of microorganisms or even of chemical reactions. The farmer and poet and social critic Wendell Berry reserves most of his reverence before the all, not for infinite space, but for the rolling farmland of his Kentucky home, more specifically for the forest, the trees he addresses so frequently in his collection called a timbered choir. Listen for that reverence in his untitled poem. Slowly, slowly they return to the small woodland let alone great trees outspreading and upright apostles of the living light. Patient as stars, they build in air, tier after tier, a timbered choir. Stout beams upholding weightless grace of song, a blessing in this place. They stand in waiting all around, uprisings of their native ground, downcomings of the distant light. They are the advent they await. Receiving sun and giving shade, their life is a benefaction made and is a benediction said over the living and the dead. In fall, their brightened leaves released fly down the wind and we are pleased to walk on radiance amazed. O oh, light come down to earth, be praised. Do you hear the reverence for the all? just in looking at a stand of trees on a farm in Kentucky. It all makes you feel a bit small, doesn't it? The beauty of all nature, the immensity of space, the inconceivable span of cosmic history. The psalmist says we are lighter than a breath, and those words echo through the canyon of Scripture, the canon of Scripture. We are a vapor, a shadow. Our days flee away like grass. In the grand scheme of things, who am I? On the other hand, in the grand scheme of things, wow. I can know that I am part of the grand scheme of things. I've never much been into poetry. I think most of the time I just don't get it. It's over my head or I'm not creative enough to understand the deeper meaning or I'm nervous that I won't get it. Or I fear that what I get was not the takeaway intended by the poet. But a little age and a lot of disappointment is opening me up to poetry a little more these days. Maybe I've just never wanted to take the time to get it. I've wanted things to come too easy. I've not wanted to work for it. I've not wanted to dig deep. 
shoot it to me straight is more my desired method of communication, but lately I've taken more to poetry. Perhaps I've slowed down a bit. Maybe I'm searching and seeking for depth more these days. When nothing makes much sense anymore, maybe we're being called to work a little harder for what we need to hear and understand. The country was wowed this past Wednesday by a young poet. Start typing the letters A-M into your Google search engine and Amanda Gorman's name will pop up instantly as your first search choice. Her poem for the presidential inauguration, The Hill We Climb, struck a chord with many folks. I found myself hanging on her every word. It was the sound of her voice, the cadence of her delivery, the brightness of her yellow coat, and the beauty of her braided hair. It was the way that she used her hands to convey the lilts and twists and turns. It was her turn of phrase, the juxtaposition of ideas, the strength of her thoughts. It was the brilliance of her youth. It was the whole thing, and it was the phrases here and there that had me saying, that girl's done gone to preaching. The norms and notions of what just is isn't always just is. That'll preach. Compose a country committed to all cultures, colors, characters, and conditions. That'll preach. We lay down our arms so we can reach out our arms to one another. That'll preach. If we merge mercy with might and might with right, then love becomes our legacy. That'll preach. For there is always light if only we are brave enough to see it, if only we are brave enough to be it. Amen, sisters. When I heard it as a whole, it was breathtaking. But the phrases along the way are more than enough to chew on all by themselves. Each phrase, even taken out of a larger context, speaks a truth of its own. That's the beauty of words that are well put together. It's a craft, it's art to take words and string them together so that when a few of those words come together in a phrase that captures you in that phrase and knowing that that phrase is enough, that's art. Between some poets I've been reading of late who speak of lament and pain and sorrow, and then Amanda Gorman, coupled with the work of the psalmist for this sermon series for this season of Epiphany, I may become a lover of poetry yet. The psalmists are our ancient poets. Today's psalm is Psalm 62. I'm going to read it for you in just a moment. Presumably it was written by King David, and this psalm is written for the asylum seeker. 
those who seek refuge from adversaries, those who yearn for security and stability. David had his detractors and his enemies, those who wished to tear him down. And in this psalm, a crisis from those who wished him harm prompts David to wonder if he can trust God and take refuge in God as he faces his enemies. Spoiler alert, David concludes a resounding yes. God can be trusted as a rock and as a fortress and as a refuge. And in the end, David rests in the assurance that God's steadfast love is all the assurance that he needs. A truly devoted person, David, devoted to God, Here's how he crafts these words. For God alone my soul waits in silence. For God, from God comes my salvation. God alone is my rock and my salvation. My fortress I shall never be shaken. And here's where he addresses those that would do him harm. How long will you assail a person? Will you batter your victim, all of you, as you would a leaning wall, a tottering fence? Their only plan is to bring down a person of prominence. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. And then he returns, for God alone my soul waits in silence, for my hope is from God. God alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rests my deliverance and my honor, my mighty rock, my refuge is in God. Trust in God at all times, O people, pour out your heart before God. God is a refuge for us. Those that I was just telling you about, those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. But no confidence in extortion and set no vain, put no confidence in extortion and set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, power belongs to God. And steadfast love belongs to you, O Lord, for you repay to all according to their work. Now, taken as a whole, it's a powerful poem of assurance that we are held closely and tightly in God's steadfast love. God utterly and completely has our back. We can trust God. But there was one phrase that caught our attention as we thought about the poetry of the psalmists. I think it caught our attention because you can find this thought throughout Hebrew Scripture and in our New Testament. It's the idea of our insignificance in the midst of all that is. We are lighter than a breath. That's it. That's the one phrase that stuck out. And lifting it out of its hole, I think we can say, that'll preach. Last week, 
We looked at Psalm 139, and it showed us what it meant to be searched out and fully known by God. We delved into the acceptance that God loves us, not in spite of and not because of who we are. God just loves us, period. And God fully knows us and can handle the truth about us. From being knit together in our mother's womb until this very moment, making us feel like the most important thing in all of creation. And because we can hold more than one thought at a time, it is also important to recognize this week from Psalm 62 that as wonderful and as valuable as we are, we are also lighter than a breath. Who are human beings before the grand mystery of the universe? As David put it in another psalm, Psalm 8, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of us? Mortals that you care for us. In the big picture, we are all lighter than a breath. Pretty small. Fairly insignificant in the grand scheme of things. Whenever I hear any presentation about space, it honestly blows my mind so much that it scares me. And I find myself not really wanting to ponder it. When I think about time, like the beginning of time until now, and how far out into the future time will last, it scares me. And when I think about how many people have lived since the beginning of time, and how many people are alive right now, and how many people there are still yet to be, it blows my mind, and it scares me a little bit. And when I think about the complexities of science and history and evolution and creation and knowledge, well, who am I in that huge grand scheme of all that has ever been and all that is and all that will ever be? We are all just lighter than a breath. That phrase from Psalm 62 is simply a lesson in humility, which we will need after delving into Psalm 139 last week, where we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We accept that in humility, keeping all things in perspective that we are also lighter than a breath. In reading Brian McLaren's work on creation, he takes us through the first creation story in Genesis 1. He's not satisfied to let the general outline speak for how the world came into being with light and sky and land and sea and plants and trees and every living creature that moves in the water and on dry land and in the sky. He wants to give this creation more life, and so McLaren describes it this way. Ripe peach, crisp apple, 
tall mountain, bright leaves, sparkling water, flying flock, flickering flame. He goes on to say, if you ask what language the Creator speaks, the best answer is this, God's first language is full spectrum light, clear water, deep sky, red squirrel, blue whale, gray parrot, green lizard, golden aspen, orange mango, yellow warbler, laughing child, rolling river, serene forest, churning storm, spinning planet, and all of it God calls good. Now we like to think that then After all of that was created, only then does creation culminate in humankind as if we are the crowning glory of it all, as if God is saving the best for last. McLaren says, the best thing in Genesis is not simply human beings. But that, the, but that the whole creation considered and enjoyed together as a beautiful, integrated whole, and us a part of that. The poetry of Genesis describes the very goodness that comes at the end of a long process of creation when all the parts, including us, are working together as a whole We are to behold the wonder and savor the aliveness of it all. We are not everything. We are a part of everything. It's not all about me, and it's not all about you, and it's not even all about us. We are fully known and fearfully and wonderfully made and, dear friends, at the very same time we are also lighter than a breath. For those of us who claim faith, we recognize our place in the grand scheme of things and we stand in humility and in awe of a God who considers us and calls us beloved. May it be so. Amen.